All right, welcome to Down by the Bank, sponsored by Brewers Pizza, Orange Park, and Clay County's only brew pub. This is Corey. Today, we are joined by the creator of Football Outsiders, including the lead writer, editor, and statistician of the Football Outsiders Almanac series. Uh, He's also a writer for ESPN.com and ESPN the Magazine, and also appears, uh, which I'm subscribed to on uh, Apple Podcasts, the Off the Charts podcast, and that is Aaron Schatz. Hey, Aaron, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. I feel kind of like Daenerys Targaryen. I have such a long introduction. (laughs) Breaker of Chains, Mother of Dragons, Creator of Football Outsiders, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, and this is Jon Snow. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) So you're a Game of Thrones fan, I'm guessing. Ah, yeah, I am. I will admit it to it. I like the political stuff, you know, like the the, uh, Middle Ages politics better than the fantasy stuff, but uh, it's all interesting. Right, right. So uh, is Jamie, did you catch up on the last episode or I no? Did, Am I, yes. Okay, so is Jamie dead or, or you know? No, did, did, I doubt it. I doubt that no. that's how they take him off. Okay, okay. We'll have to see. Yeah, it's definitely uh, a show that we uh, certainly binge watch or we did binge watch. We're caught up now. We watch uh, every Sunday now, but our new show we're binge watching is Orange is the New Black. Um, I have to go back. I watched the first two seasons of that and I kind of like lost interest halfway through season three. I've got to go back and try that again. Yeah, season three is awful, but it picks back up big time in four. So I would plead with you to get back into it in four and give it another shot. It's oh, pretty good. good. I know you're not just on to talk about uh, television, although that would be fun. But I did want to kind of start off by complimenting you on your Twitter feed. Um, you're definitely one of my favorite Twitter followers by far. You're also kind of outspoken on your feed about things unrelated to sports, particularly politics, which I personally love as well. I'm kind of a politics fanatic. What made you decide to kind of blend your feed between sports and, and, and hot topics like politics? Because, you know, that could always be detrimental to your business and football outsiders. And, and kind of jokingly, do you think that your Twitter prowess makes you a early 2020 contender for president of the United States? Oh, there's no way. I do not tweet early in the morning enough. Come on now. It's <laughs> a late sleeper, please. Um, yeah, it kind of goes with me talking about TV, right? I mean, the Twitter feed shows that I have more interest than just football, but it's a very recent phenomenon, okay? I mean, the, the fact is, Football Outsiders has had a no-politics rule, and we still have it. Since the very beginning, we found that in our second year of existence in 2004, we would have discussion threads that would turn into arguments about Bush versus Kerry. And we were like, what does this have to do with whatever football subject we were supposed to be talking about here? It makes no sense. So we very quickly just said, okay, you know what? We're going to just make this a no politics zone. We're not going to let people go in a political direction unless it's specifically related to a football story like stadium spending or Michael Vick's arrest or right now the Colin Kaepernick story. But Uh, My Twitter feed is different. That's my feed. Scott Kazmar's Twitter feed is his feed to use as he wants. Vince's is uh, Vince Verheyes is his his to use as he wants. And the answer to what made me start talking about things other than football and occasionally music is Donald Trump. I mean, right? I mean, like, I'm not, you know, there's no mincing words. We've talked a lot. uh, Me and Mike Tanier talk a lot about, uh, for those who don't know, Mike Tanier used to write for me. He's one of the writers on the book. He's one of the main NFL writers now for Bleacher Report. And we've talked a lot about the sort of feeling we have as sports writers confronting the racism that is out there in society right now. Um, and it's a different animal than previous political arguments. It's like when people talk about ESPN being political, I always point out they're not really talking about you know, 
trade policy on ESPN. When people say ESPN is too liberal, what they mean is I don't like them talking about civil rights. Now, it turns out actually what they mean is usually not I don't like them talking about black people's rights. What they usually mean is I didn't like them giving Caitlyn Jenner an award. And honestly, I didn't like them giving Caitlyn Jenner an award either because Caitlyn Jenner hasn't had anything to do with sports in decades. (laughs) But uh, it doesn't make ESPN liberal. Uh, but we, you know, Tanya and I talked a lot about this sort of feeling that we we wanted to 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 make it known that we're not going to have any of that. I mean, a lot of this came up with Cam Newton's season in 2015 before Trump became the nominee. You know, you would read the stuff about Cam Newton, you know, all of the, God, the the dog whistle nonsense that people write about black quarterbacks. And they're still writing it about Cam Newton in 2015. And it was embarrassing. And I said to him, sometimes I I feel like when we write these articles about how Cam Newton is smart and Cam Newton is, you know, not lazy, like we're just preaching to the converted. And Mike said to me, no, man, he said, I live in South Jersey. Trust me. I hear guys talking like this about Cam Newton all the time. This is really still a thing. And I think we realized we learned in the months after that, that people talking about black athletes and black people in general like that is amazingly still a thing. So I felt like I had to make a stand about that. The other thing you realize as somebody who works in sports is we cover a lot of African-American men. We really should make sure everybody knows that we respect them as human beings. And the same goes for our African-American coworkers at ESPN or wherever else we write. And so I want that to be known. And so I'm, I'm kind of loud and obnoxious about it a little bit on Twitter. Plus, I like making jokes. And my God, this administration is easy to make fun of. <laughs> well and that's what that was going to be my question is is you know with how polarizing everything is right now do you get a lot of i guess the way to say it is hate tweets or angry people or people that you constantly have to block to sort of filter out of your uh your, yeah, it slowed your... down it slowed down there were a lot more of them early on i'm not getting the anti-semitic stuff as much as i used to i mean let me tell you the the during the campaign in the first month or two of trump there was a lot of anti-semitic stuff both in my email and twitter and that's really slowed down over the last couple months. I don't know whether I'm just blocking the right people or whether people just don't care as much anymore. I've said a couple of things that got picked up by conservative Twitter where, man, was I just completely misunderstood or, you know, or they wanted to, I guess, claim that when people complain that ESPN is liberal, I guess ESPN is talking about tax policy. I don't – maybe that's what they think. I don't know. I've never seen – Michael Smith and Jamel Hill talk about tax policy or, you know, what we should be doing about China. That's not really what people mean when they say ESPN is political. But, okay, if people want to be pissy about that, they they can. It's upsetting to me because there are a lot of conservatives that I definitely respect. And some of them are still pretty smart about a lot of things and understand the problems with the current administration. Others of them have lost their minds. You know, I worked for Dennis Prager for a summer back when I was in college. He was a very different person then than the guy who claimed a couple of weeks ago that, what, what, what did he claim, that the news media is more dangerous to America than Russia or something? And right. Not right. really the same person he was in 1993. Yeah. The, as far as the, uh, the racial issue, I mean, you know, growing up, I'm from Jacksonville, Florida. You know, a lot of people consider us, you know, Southern Georgia to a certain extent. And, uh, you know, we, we talked a couple episodes back with Vito Stellino, who was a longtime writer with the Florida Times Union. He's in the Sports Writers uh, Hall of Fame, talking about Byron Leftwich when he got drafted by the Jags to replace Mark Brunel. And, you know, the consensus was pretty much that the, the reason he got so much flack, you know, because he performed pretty well in the beginning. But, 
you know, in Jacksonville, there's still a lot of that crowd out there that that thinks more so in the the in racial terms, especially with the quarterback position where it has to be a white athlete. Right. Uh, I, I think just because a, people got all caught up in the stereotypes of quarterbacks, it's like there's something about Byron Leftwich that didn't compute for people because he was a black pocket quarterback. Yeah, and so it was just disappointing because you know a lot of people he got a lot of criti- you know criticism for his uh, you know quote unquote mannerisms on the field or having attitude and you know Vito basically said when he was in the locker room with him he was the nicest guy ever he would come out uh, after the press conferences and see this, if you know this is a guy whose college teammates picked him up and dragged him down the field because he had hurt his leg. So that he could keep passing the ball. That's how much his college teammates respected him. The idea that Byron Leftwich's problem was like team chemistry or leadership is so unbelievably laughable. His problem was decision-making in that ridiculously long wind-up. It was not leadership or, or, or uh, chemistry or anything like that. Well, and it just it it's I'm happy that he got his you know some rings up you know with the Steelers and everything like that. And evidently, he's doing a great job as a, as a coach, uh, assistant coach with the Arizona Cardinals now. Um, so uh, I'm excited to see uh, his future prospects. But uh, yeah, just kind of an unfortunate thing. But you know, as a lot of people say, and I think Steve Jobs had a really good quote about this in relations to computers and and keyboards and, and things like that. That you know the the older generation that has thoughts that. You know, the kind of thoughts that we're, you know, worried about, uh, they die eventually. So that's so that kind of works its way that's out. That's the end. hope that that gradually things will that's the hope that gradually things will change. And, and then we can go back to arguing about things like tax policy. And then, you know what? I will go back to not talking about politics on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, that's no one stuff. wants to really know what I think about healthcare policy. <laughs> no, but seriously though, you are a great Twitter follow. I definitely encourage everybody out there to check you out. I mean, it's it's definitely uh, a more refreshing take on uh, the usual uh, sports stuff all the time. So it's definitely good stuff. Um, uh, switching gears, Football Outsiders Almanac uh, 2017. You know, came out a few weeks ago. Uh, it's always been a favorite of mine to pick up. I just got the PDF uh, about a week ago and should be getting the paper edition in the mail soon from Amazon. Um, so for kind of a Jaguars tie-in, there's there's an image that we'll share on social media after this with Tony Khan uh, holding up the kind of tattered almanac. I'm not sure what year it was, but it was in his office. And I guess it was so worn out from how many times he had gone through it. Um, you know, Khan, you know, the, the son of... I've seen uh, that Sean. one. It's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> it's cool. It is cool. And he, you know, he's the son of uh, Shad uh, Khan, the owner of the team. Uh, a couple years back, bought the team. Fan base loves him. Uh, Tony's official title is uh, Senior Vice President of Football Technology and Analytics. But with Coughlin taking over and, you know, Khan getting more involved with Fulham, uh, a lot of us are unsure if the team is focusing as much attention on the analytics department anymore. And in fact, we had uh, Mike Renner from PFF on about you know seven or eight episodes ago, who kind of confirmed that they have gone largely a- away from having sort of an analytics department. Um, so, what's you know your take on the whole old school versus new school battle on you know football evaluation? And do you think that the Jags are doing themselves sort of a disservice by not investing as much time or money into the analytics? Well, first, just as a throwback, just to call back to the discussion of politics and race, I will point out that I saw some people complaining today about Colin Kaepernick not being signed, say that the NFL has no minority owners. 
Ooh, that's and I was uh, like, guys, Shadkan, <laughs> guys, Shadkan, Shadkan, guys. Okay, hello. Hey, and Aaron, Aaron, how can you, you forget would... the mustache? Come on, well, now. exactly. But you wouldn't believe the hateful comments and Facebook sec- uh, comments sections and articles when that guy took over the team. It was unbelievable. Well, I hope they understand now that whatever problems he has, it's not that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um. As far as, you know, listen, I've, I've said to people jokingly, one of the best things you can do in this business is have somebody who's a really big fan of yours have their father buy a team. So it was, you know, when the cons bought the Jags, it was awesome. And they became the real flag uh, waivers for our movement. And there's no doubt that Tony was trying to do a lot of research. and He brought a couple people down there. I don't know how much he was ever really getting through to the coaches and to the GM, to be perfectly honest. He was doing a lot of stuff, but you just never really saw it. You never really saw it that much on the field, and you never really saw it that much, with, especially with the draft picks, right? I mean, Dante Fowler was someone who didn't do well in our projection systems. Blake Bortles was someone who didn't do well in our projection systems. They would take some guys lower down that would do well in our numbers. They would sign guys as undrafted free agents that had good analytics, like uh, Corey Grant. Right. But I never know, knew how much the management was listening to Tony, and I, I'm, I'm sure that it is less now with Coughlin taking over and you know Tony's working more with the soccer team. That being said, and I'm kind of a little surprised Renner didn't bring this up, the Giants with Coughlin were one of the first teams to buy data from PFF. You know, that wasn't the happiest thing for me because PFF is sort of kind of our competition, maybe kind of not really anymore because they're much larger now because Chris Collinsworth owns them. <laughs> but the Giants were buying data. I don't know what they were doing with it. I can't imagine Coughlin listening to anyone's analysis on it, but they were buying it. So, it, you know, I don't know if the door is completely shut to doing analytics with the Jags. But, yeah, it's been a bit of a disappointment. The Browns have sort of, like, lived the life of analytics a lot more than the Jags did. I, I don't think that's any. you know, I don't think it's not that Tony didn't want to or that he didn't do the work. I just, you know. We just didn't see a lot of the results. As far as the old school versus new school, I mean, I just think it's a ridiculous, you know, ridiculous dichotomy, right? First of all, it's it's often based on a fallacy, which is that no one has ever done analytics in football. But of course, that's not true, right? Uh, football did more analytics than any other sport for a long time because that's what quality control coaches do. They essentially do analytics on your next opponent. And because they had a salary cap before other sports... They had people in the front offices that were doing economic research and economic you know, efficiency decisions before other sports were. Now, on the flip side of that, you know, there's this sort of straw man that gets put together about how stats people want all this. You know, they want to not, you know, we just want to listen to numbers, not what we see on film, which is ridiculous. Because, first of all, everybody does stats. Everybody uses stats, except we're trying to make better stats. We're trying to not just quote yards and touchdown totals but actually look closer at stats that are more useful and that sort of filter out context. Uh, But also analytics can't live without scouting, right? There's some analytics that are part scouting, doing any kind of game charting like what PFF does or what our partners now at Sports Info Solutions do is going to involve film work and you need to understand how to scout the game. And there's going to be positions where you 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 don't have analytics, right? I mean, we don't have any offensive line stats for college people. You got to decide on offensive linemen in the draft entirely based on scouting. So, I mean, people often say to me, "What do you want from analytics in franchises?" 
And the answer to me is I would like the analytics director to have a seat at the table next to the scouting director with the same amount of power and the same amount of say and no more power or no more say. The scouting director should have the same amount of power and say as the analytics director and vice versa. So do you think it's just – why do you think there is so much heated – uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? So much, uh, I don't know. Like anytime you bring up analytics with certain folks, because it's still really high school upset. to a lot of people and they're trying to take everything they don't like in world, the world out on the math geeks. <laughs> well, I guess that could be the case that that could be true because, uh, because, and they think that we want to ruin sports for them. Football is one of, one of the reasons football is the most popular sport in America is because it can be enjoyed on so many different levels. And the thing is, there is enough room for those of us that love it and write about it to write about it on different levels without having to get in, in each other's way. I'm not trying to force my numbers on people who are out there for the pageantry, who are out there just to watch the speed, who are out there to just watch hitting, who just want to root for their team, who want to tailgate, who want to root the cheerleaders on. I'm not trying to force numbers down these people's throats. I'm here for the people who want numbers. And vice versa, I wouldn't want to shove tailgating cheerleaders down the throats of people who are more interested in looking at the chess game than they are the pageantry that takes place before the teams kick off. And the thing about football is it's big enough that we can all enjoy it. So we don't have to have this ridiculous high school-like fight between the geeks and the jocks. What are we, like 16 years old? (laughs) Right. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. You mentioned the Browns. What was your opinion on them bringing in Paul D. Podesta, you know, from Moneyball fame and all That was fascinating. Listen, it was a fascinating decision, and they've hired people, a lot of people, people I know, people I'm friends with. I love seeing what they're doing. Look, it's all going to depend on whether they can find a quarterback. But I think that they've made the right decision by not reaching for a quarterback they didn't think was good enough to reach for. It means that the rebuild is going to take longer, right? They may go 4-12 and again this year. They may not, there may not be gradual increase until they finally find that quarterback. But they're doing so many things right. It's going to be really interesting to see how it all works out. We're, we're also we also just have to count on Jimmy Haslam not getting impatient, and firing everybody. But the fact is that De Podesta played football. He's not a one sport guy who's only watched one sport in his entire life. And it's not like they don't have a bunch of football people working around him, starting with the head coach, right? Hugh Jackson knows football, so I don't think this worry that. De Podesta was going to come in and suddenly they were going to, you know, turn into the Oakland A's. They're going to be a football team first and foremost, and they're going to run themselves like a football team, just a smart one. Anybody who's seen the movie, by the way, it's so funny because, you know, the Peter Brand character that's based on Paul D. Podesta is not an, he's not in any way like the real Paul D. Podesta. Yes, in, real in fact, life. he's not called Paul D. Podesta. <laughs> when Paul D. Podesta found out that Jonah Hill had been cast as him, he told the people making the movie that they no longer had permission to use his name because he's tall and athletic and not a nebbish. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's uh, it, it was definitely interesting hearing about that. But, um, but anyway, a lot of, you know, a lot of Jags fans uh, listening to this are new to football outsiders. And I, and I can say that for sure, just because when I had mentioned it to some of our uh, listeners who were on like the Jaguar subreddit and um, Twitter, you know, they weren't uh, fully aware of what you guys did exactly. I mean, they knew of you, but they didn't uh, know too much in depth. Um, so I, one, I definitely recommend everybody picking up a copy to try it out. Uh, if you haven't already, and we'll put a link in the podcast description. It's very uh, affordable. It's on Amazon. You can even get an electronic copy as well. 
Um, on the Jaguar summary page on 106, you guys have our total DVOA at 10.4% uh, or negative 10.4%, 26th in the league. Uh, DVOA stands for defense adjusted value over average. Is there any way you could sort of go into the importance of this statistic and what it means in kind of a abbreviated explain like I'm five sort of way? And then also what concern should fans see in that number and that ranking? Okay, so here's how it works. We give every play in the NFL a success rating based on how many yards it gained considering the down and distance of the play. And you can get extra success, you know, if you get a really long gain or a touchdown. You can get negative if it's a turnover. Uh, but in general, we're looking here at down and distance, right? You want to start, you're thinking in terms of situational football, which is the way that coaches think. A five-yard gain on first and 10 is a useful play. A five-yard gain on third and 15 is not a useful play unless you're very specifically in field goal range and trying to get a shorter field goal. So we take all of this into account when we give success rating for plays. Then every play gets compared to a league average baseline, which is determined by situation and opponent. And so overall, what you end up with is how efficient teams are compared to an average adjusted for situation and opponent. Positive numbers are better for offense and special teams. Negative numbers are better for defense because it's preventing scoring, preventing first downs. And rank is an easy way to tell what's good and what's bad no matter what because everybody knows that number one is good and number 32 is bad. That's why when you see anything being written about it, Football Outsiders, you will almost always see ranks because that way you don't need to know what the stats necessarily mean to know which teams are good and which teams are bad. So needless to say, when we have a 26th rank overall, that is a bad, bad thing. <laughs> right. So that's not good. Um, one of the, you know, and, and again, you know, check it out because they have a very thorough, uh, not only just the statistics, but also just a write-up. Um, the Jaguars article in the newest Almanac focuses quite a bit on Blake Bortles, uh, written by Tom Gower with the headline up top that I thought was pretty good and also true. 2016, one more chance for Gus yields another high draft pick. 2017, one more chance for Blake yields dot 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 fill in the blank there um tom ends the article with his analysis that the 2018 football outsiders will likely discuss a continued playoff drought with a new quarterback that will lead the team so he touches on Bortles as basically a garbage time performer which a lot of jacksonville media and fans have you know kind of debated the significance of that over the years you know especially right. with the, and that's the, by the way the kind of thing that when reporters usually talk about it it's usually bogus and it's not in this case the fact is that overall, on average, quarterbacks are the same efficiency when they're behind by a lot as they are when games are close. I know people think, oh, they get a bunch of garbage yards and stuff. But in reality, most quarterbacks are just as efficient when they're behind as they are when the game is tied. Bortles is a colossal exception. He is so much better when they're losing by more than two touchdowns. It's absurd. So he really does. It sounds like it's bogus, but it's really true. He really builds his numbers in garbage time. So I know a lot of the fans that sort of counter to that, and you know, particularly ones that are trying to be overly optimistic, which I totally understand because we've had so many seasons of losing in years past. But they 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 say, well, it's with Gus Bradley. We were rebuilding all those years pretty much, and we were going to lose every year anyway. So pretty much all the playing time he had, we'd be behind anyway. So in a case like that, you're saying that even with – comparable players in similar situations, they were at least somewhat uh, consistent when they were winning versus losing, and he's just not in any way. 
Yeah, a player with equivalent stats to Blake Bortles, another player with equivalent stats, will generally be much better in close games and much worse when losing by a huge amount. That being said, look, here's the reason for optimism, right? Despite the 3-13 and record, win-loss records are confusing, right? Because, listen, on one hand, Parcells was right when he said you are what you are, right? You don't get to be in the playoffs because our ratings think you're good. Playoff position is determined by wins and losses. But as far as predicting the future, wins and losses are nowhere near as good as underlying data, right? That's some of the idea behind DVOA. And the Jaguars did not play like a 3-13 and team last year. The Jaguars played like a 6-10 and team last year, or maybe 5-11. and It was the best year the Jaguars have had in the last five years. They actually were above average in something for the first time. Well, they were above average in special teams in 2013. But other than that, right, they had above average defense, which is finally, like finally something was above average. They were not as bad as their record. The problem is there's just no reason to believe the offense is going to turn things around. Well, and I think the one piece of uh, information that was thrown in there that I thought gives me a little bit of optimism is just that you guys are pretty much projecting the rest of the AFC South to be pretty bad. So with that being yeah, said, I mean, subjectively, I mean, look, subjectively, I like Tennessee even more than our numbers do. I'm really a Mariota fan. But for the long term, man, there is so much defensive talent on this Jaguars roster. I mean, yeah, they blew it on the quarterback pick. Bortles is just not the guy. And Look, it's not hopeless. He could still put it together in his fourth year, but it's very, very unlikely. And if he does, you know, if he doesn't, it's time to give up. But man, on the defensive side of the ball, so much talent. Once they get a quarterback in there who can play and a better offensive line would help too. Although I like uh, the center, the guy who just signed the big contract. Is that? Uh, yeah, Linder. Linder, yeah. Yeah. Um, God, there's pieces there, man. There really are. Well, and there's pretty good comparables too. If you guys check it out in uh, in the almanac with Bortles versus uh, guys like Ryan Tannehill, uh, J.P. Uh, Lozman, and Donovan McNabb. I was going to ask you, by the way, just kind of a side note: What's your take on? The, did you follow the Brandon Albert situation where he retired and then has now said he's going to unretire, and the team basically yeah, said, "Yeah, followed uh, it." I don't understand it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's where we really are, football outsiders, right? I mean, I'm not in that locker room asking the players what's going on. I've never spoken to Brandon Albert in my life. I don't know what is going through his head. Um, there's, they're not going to get anything for him. I mean, they only gave up a seventh round pick to get him. So, which essentially was actually giving up Julius Thomas, right? Wasn't it two different trades where they like traded Julius Thomas for a seventh, but then traded the seventh for Albert right. or something? Yeah, it was really and, weird. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, he's older and he's got a huge contract. It's not that he's a bad player. It's that his contract is larger than his value right now. Um, but I would rather have him as my left tackle this year than the rookie and have yeah. the rookie get some experience. Yeah, I think the word is that Coughlin, because you know he held out first for a week or so. On the, it does you know, sound like the kind of thing where Coughlin's just like, I have no time for this, and you should have been at the meeting five days early. And- <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. I think the the consensus now is that he's uh, he's not playing for the team, and they're just either going to leave him on the uh, reserve retired list, uh, trade him, or cut him. And I don't really know what the benefit of cutting him would be. But yeah, I mean, definitely, uh, we'll kind of you know leave the the rest of the analysis up to the the listeners to check out in the, in the newest almanac but i did kind of have a curious question as to, to how the the folks are assigned to cover the the different teams for the almanac and then how much time would you say uh goes into putting together the the team pages for that yearly issue it's hard to say how much time goes into it because it's 
so much of my work from like late March through early July, but I am doing other things at the time, like writing stuff for ESPN and doing the business of running my business, which is hard to do that and write, but I do it somehow. Um, so it's hard to say exactly how many, like how many hours go into doing the chapters. I mean, you know, I have to do all the research um, and I have to run all the numbers to create the ratings and create all the tables, but then everybody has to write their stuff. Uh, and then I have to edit their stuff and rewrite in places where I think rewriting needs to be done. And that's, you know, why, even though we have different writers for each chapter, my voice ends up sort of being threaded throughout the whole book. Um, as far as how we decide, like, who does which team, um, some guys sort of have a division that's like their home division. They'll tend to do that division every other year. And then I'll put them, you know, I like to have a different mindset each year on each team because, you know, we all see the game differently. You know, you have your more film type guys like Kian, and then you have your more stat oriented type folks like Scott Kazmar. So I like to flip things around people, you know, have different people do different divisions. So some people who are really like full time NFL people like Scott, I'll just give them whatever division I need someone for. Other folks who have day jobs, like Tom Gower, will flip back and forth between sort of the division they know best, which in Tom's case is the AFC South, because he's a Tennessee fan, and a division that's playing against that division that year. So Tom will probably end up doing a couple of teams from whichever divisions are playing the AFC South this year, which I can't remember who that is. Yeah, it's just it's it's good stuff. I mean, I like I said, you know, to everybody listening, be sure to check it out. Um Again, either the PDF or the paper version, and really the website as well, footballoutsiders.com. It's a great website, um, and uh, we'll be sure to link up all of that on the podcast description as far as the link to the book as well as the website, his stuff on ESPN. And then, again, make sure to follow Aaron on Twitter at F-O underscore A-S-C-H-A-T-Z, and we'll put that in there as well. So, uh, again, I, I mean, should, I've been uh, a – should... uh, hmm? I was going to say, I should put out one of the things for your listeners, realizing where I'm on a podcast right now, because I'm sure that you have some listeners in Volusia County, right? <laughs> Probably so, yes. So for those who don't know, if you're in Volusia County and you're in your 30s or 40s, you don't remember me, but you do remember me as a DJ on WKRO 93.1 in the mid-90s. Oh. Wow, that was my past life. <laughs> that is past what life? I did before I wrote about football. <laughs> how'd you had that transition occur that's kind of an interesting uh past career i left the radio business and i started doing some internet work i came back to boston and i started working for internet companies and i just started football outsiders on the side i had an economics degree even though i went into the radio business i had an economics degree so that's sort of where the football statistics stuff comes from but yeah my job out of college is i was a radio disc jockey and music director for 93.1 in daytona so it's hard to believe that I actually lived down there for a year, but I have pictures to prove it. <laughs> and it was the ball? year the Jaguars went to the AFC Championship game as the oh. second-year team. It was kind of right. wild. Yeah, yeah, 96. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so you're going to post those pictures up on Twitter or something? At some or? point, maybe I will. I wonder whatever happened to the women from the uh, WKRO promotions team. I have no idea. I haven't spoken to them in years. <laughs> well, if you do, please uh, tag me or shoot me a direct message or something so that I know it's up there. I want to check that out for sure. 
Um, but again, I mean, I just, you know, I thank you so much for, for doing this. I've been a, a reader uh, of yours since uh, high school. So it's definitely uh, really, really cool for you to take the time to do this for our Jaguars podcast. And uh, again, everybody check them out. And Aaron, thanks so much again for joining the podcast. Well, it's kind of mind-blowing to think that I have people who can say phrases like, I've been listening to you since, uh, I've been reading you since high school, but thanks for having <laughs> me on. I'm glad. I mean, it's good to know there are still people out there we haven't reached yet, because we, we want to reach all the people who are interested in what we do and hope that we make them better informed and more entertained as football fans. Not just better informed, but also more entertained, because we, you know, we do watch sports because they're fun. So we're not just about the knowledge. We're also about the jokes in between the knowledge. Right. This is, again, Football Outsiders is not a, uh, a room full of Peter Brand, a.k.a. Jonah Hill people like it's portrayed in the movie. Because so, <laughs> I, think, I think sometimes that's the uh, perception and it's not true. All right. Yeah. Also, we, have... we actually watch the games. Right. We get that a lot. <laughs> you guys probably don't even watch the games. Do you know how much football I watch? Honest to God, I watch so much football. <laughs> Of course we watch the games. We wouldn't do this for a living if we didn't love the games. I scream at my TV like everybody else. When the <laughs> game is over, then I put on Analyst Hat. Yeah, exactly. And you were a former DJ, so you have that kind of edgy uh, background prior, too. So, That's right. Uh, I, can scream at the, I can scream at the TV, but I can scream with really mellifluous tones. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, good stuff, Aaron. We appreciate you joining us, and uh, I hope you have a good day. Thanks a lot. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So... At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable. It's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast.